Hello, friend. I heard you were looking for our spot. I got you. So you're going to go past the corner bodega and down the block from the Fresh Cuts Barbershop. And there you'll find a brick row house at the intersection of Literature Place and Social Justice Boulevard. That's the stoop. Amanda, Amanda Lytle, she'll be there to welcome you to the conversation. The book stoop. That's the name of the spot. We got the hottest takes on book culture, nerd culture, current events, with best-selling authors, change makers, and risk takers. The best kinds of folks. Oh, me? I'm Rebecca Baruki, president of Row House Publishing, and this is our podcast. I am so glad you're here. Now, I'm going to let you get to Amanda. Thanks, Bex. Hey, friend. Let me be the second one to welcome you to our spot, The Book Stoop. I feel incredibly honored to be the host of this podcast, and I'm so grateful you're here. Today on The Book Stoop, I'm speaking with Chrissy King, writer, fitness and strength coach, and the creator of The Body Liberation Project. In the conversation today, Chrissy shares the story behind her book deal with Tiny Reparations and how her fitness journey has changed her life, what keeps her inspired, and what Chrissy's definition of black joy is. We start our chats on the book stoop with a rather fitting question. So what are you reading these days? So I actually just finished a book of essays slash memoir by Casey Wilson Mm. called The Wreckage of My Presence. And it is such a beautiful book um, because she's talking about really deep, serious things, but then also she's so incredibly funny that you're laughing and crying and it's just such a good, I really highly recommend it. It's so good. Okay. I'll put that in the notes. Thank you for that. And speaking of deals, there's a book deal story here with Tiny Reparations and I would love for you to share it. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm super excited about it. So interestingly, I, um, okay, I'm going to make a long story kind of short or hope to. (laughs) Um, I'm a freelance writer. And so early last year, probably around this time, actually last year, I wrote an article about for Shape Magazine about what it's like to be a black body positive fitness trainer. And Mm -hmm. I was really highlighting and interviewing other black trainers and, you know, unconventional bodies, according to, you know, mainstream fitness standards. Mm -hmm. And the article kind of went viral, did really well. And I ended up being um, contacted by the the Today Show. And they wanted me to come on and talk about my work and then also like bring one of the people that I highlighted in the article. And so obviously this was during, you know, COVID pandemic, everyone's in their house. And so we did it virtually, but it was a really great interview. It was such a cool opportunity. And then fast forward like two weeks later, I had an email that was like kind of out of the blue. No, it was was not kind of, it was totally out of the blue. Mm from someone asking me if I ever wanted to write a book. And it's always been a goal of mine. I, I knew that I was gonna eventually write a book. I just didn't know when it was gonna happen. And so I was like, yeah, sure. But then I also felt like this can't be real. Like no one just emails you like, do you wanna write a book? So I said, yes, we had a call. And I talked for like 30 minutes to this person about what I wanted to write about. And um, the gentleman was like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. Can you send me like, you know, a quick paragraph about the book? I'm gonna pitch it at the sales meeting next week. And I was like, this is so strange because I don't, I don't know anything about publishing, but I feel like this is probably not how it normally happens. Mm -hmm. 
So I reached out to Rebecca Baruki, Bex Life, and I was like, hey, Bex, I know you've worked in publishing. Like, can I pay you for a call? I have some questions. I get on the phone with her and Bex is like, oh my God, this is amazing. And also you need like an agent right away because this is like, you know, you need an agent. Mm -hmm. Of course, I don't have an agent. Bex recommends me to someone. I end up getting on a call with that person. And then like two days later, I have an agent. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. I have an agent. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I work with my agent. I got a, a really decent offer from that first publisher. And my agent, because she's smart and wise, she was like, listen, if someone is willing to give you this much money for a paragraph, like you don't even have a book proposal, I feel like we could do a lot better with this book. She's like, it's up to you, but I would turn it down and write a book proposal. And because I trust her, I was like, I don't know anything about publishing. I hired you for a reason. So I trust you. So turn that book deal down. Um, five or six months later, I finally get through my proposal because it took me that long to mm -hmm. get through the proposal. And um, my agent sets up a ton of meetings with different publishers. And I, I went to this meeting with Tiny Rep. And also my agent, she's so wonderful in that she didn't give me more detail than I needed to know. She was just like, here are the publishers meeting with. These are the days. These are the times. I didn't do a lot of research in advance. I just like, I'm going to show up to the meetings. I'm going to see what happens. And I show up to meeting with Tiny Reparations. And there's like probably four or five people on the call, which is like more than I was used to for the meetings. And then they're like, we have a special guest for you. And I'm like, a special guest for me? Like, who would be a special mm -hmm. guest for me? And then Phoebe Robinson pops on the call. And I, of course, have zero chill. I'm not cool. I don't have any chill whatsoever. <laughs> I had like a total fangirl moment. Um, and she was so, so gracious. And she didn't stand for the whole call, but... Even when like the part she was on, it was, she was like so encouraging. It was just, it was amazing. So anyways, all said and done, I ended up assigning a deal with Tiny Reparation, like bigger than I could have ever asked for or expected. And it's been so great so far. And so I'm really excited that my first book will be coming out with them. And yeah, it's going to be really amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Like soak that in and up. That is just so beautiful. So when's it coming out? It will be out in uh, spring of 2023. So it seems like so far away, but time goes fast. And you have a title and everything too? Yeah, it's uh, entitled The Body Liberation Project. The subtitle is still up for, you know, we're still working that out. Mm -hmm. But the book is largely about um, obviously body liberation, but it's also intersections of identity around race and gender and body size and body politics um, and all these really important topics in my mind. Mm-hmm. I have a question about a journey that you started roughly eight and a half years ago. Can you just kind of jump into that for us? Yeah, I um, I got into fitness, actually. So, you know, I consider myself a writer now, but I got into this work really through the gateway of fitness. And I joined the gym for the first time for a reason that I think a lot of people join the gym. Literally, I was just like, I need to be skinny. That was it. I had no mm -hmm. other motivation. Um, and so I got into fitness for that reason um, and through a long series of events that were gave me that got me into like strength training and powerlifting and getting really strong and like dealing with my own relationship with body and body image and obsessive eating, like so many things. It just like all these years later got me to where I am now, but it was becoming a coach and a trainer first. And then when I was a coach and a trainer, I started writing about things that at the time people weren't talking about. Like now it's very um, commonplace for people to be talking about the intersection of like racism and fitness and, you know, diversity and inclusion and fitness and wellness spaces. But when I was talking about this four or five years ago, it really wasn't the thing that mm -hmm. people were talking about yet. Um, and I have a, a justice background. I went to school for social welfare and justice. And so I really started putting my merging those two worlds of fitness, which I fell deeply in love with, and then social justice. 
And then because of my own um, journey with body image and all of that, that's what led to my body liberation work. And so it's so interesting because I think, you know, when I got into fitness eight and a half years ago, I was working a corporate job, you know, had no plans of changing careers. And I really think that strength training was such a big part of my life, but it also completely changed the trajectory of my career and my life and ultimately led me back to the thing that I originally said I wanted to do in life when I was young I would spend all of my time reading books and writing Mm. and I was like I'm going to be a writer when I grow up and then I went to high school went to college and I was like oh people aren't writers for a living I mean obviously there are people but in my Mm -hmm. mind that wasn't like a feasible thing and so I just you know got a corporate job and started doing that and it you know so fitness really brought me back to the thing that I've always wanted to be doing and so it's very full circle for me to be writing a book now and to be a full-time writer um it seems very fitting and also I'm just so grateful for the journey I literally just wrote down full circle because as you're telling this story I'm just going okay wow <laughs> and also even just with the writing and the creation aspect of it you've got some really powerful courses on the go can you share a bit about those yes thank you um so yeah like I said I I remember this very specific moment at a, probably like four or five years ago now when I you know I was in fitness and building an online business I was working with a coach at the time and I at the time was like not talking about the things that I was talking about in my everyday life online because I was like Again, it wasn't, people weren't talking about racism and fitness at the time. And I didn't want to be seen as like, you know, this angry black woman, like, you know, who are you to be talking about this? Like, we don't talk about this in the fitness space. But I remember very specifically that I had written this article and it was entitled, Is Fitness Only for Thin White Women? And it was because I just didn't see representation in fitness spaces. And I was terrified Mm -hmm. to publish this article. And also I should point out that at the time, no one was reading my work anyways, but I was still really Mm -hmm. terrified. And so I remember my coach at the time really um, encouraged me to um, publish the article and I did. And it was like the first article that I remember people were actually read and shared. And it led to me writing my, getting like my first offer to write for a major platform. Anyways, when I did that article, I was like, wow, that was really freeing because now I'm talking about the things I want to be talking about. And also it's totally fine. And so from there, I started just going deeper into like, again, why we need to be talking about racism and fitness, why we need to be talking about diversity and inclusion. And so I created my first course around these things um, several years ago, and I was just doing them um, virtually in the website on my, my own platform for people who were interested Um, And then I started doing them at a couple of universities and, you know, have been doing those courses for a long time. But then last year in June of 2020, when people were suddenly like, oh my gosh, racism is a thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first time where I felt like the fitness and wellness industry uh, was really, really open to listening to these conversations in ways that they haven't been before. And so I offered the courses again and they uh, did really, really well last year. And because of that, and, and just how widespread the courses people, I mean, how widespread it was, like so many people took them. I started doing consultations for companies like Google and Nike and Under Armour around these big, important topics, like t- making uh, the, the industry more inclusive and like actual steps that we can take to do this. Because one of the things I also realized is that as wonderful as it was that so many people started listening, I do recognize that a lot of it, unfortunately, was performative in some ways. Mm. And so I think for me, what's really important with this work is that I'm working with organizations and with people who 
are really interested in taking actionable steps, not just having the conversations, because mm-hmm. it really needs to go beyond just conversations, right? Listen, this is, I don't want to be doing work that I feel like it's just helping people check the box. Like, okay, we did the thing. Mm-hmm. We brought the person in to have this conversation. It's like, no, what are the steps that you're going to take? How are you going to put these things into actionable practices in your everyday lives? Mm-hmm. Is there an accountability factor too? Do you continue the conversation after these courses and workshops have happened? Um, so for the workshops and courses I did on my platform that anybody could join publicly, um, no, there's no follow-up. Um, I thought about doing additional courses, but to be completely honest, to having these conversations every day, all the time is kind of exhausting. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, I do it when I can. And when I need to take a step back, I take a step back. Mm-hmm. However, with companies and organizations, I have worked with some companies in a more long-term, um, capacity, Again, I'm not doing that at the time right now for similar reasons. It's just like I had to take a break from my own mental health and well-being. Mm-hmm. But yes, I have done that. Yeah. Okay. I love that you're bringing up the mental health and well-being stuff because I'm, I know that the fitness aspect of this is such a part of, of regulating yourself and keeping yourself regulated. But what are some other practices that you have to maintain some sort of regulation in your own life? Yeah. So I think one of the things that I have really realized, especially over the last year, because I have been doing so much work and I have been so busy um, is that when I'm talking about body liberation, like the key, that word is liberation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I really started to think about not only, yes, I'm, I'm talking about body liberation for the masses. And I also want to think of my own personal life about what is my own liberation as a black woman look like. Mm-hmm. Right. And what does that mean? And so a big part of that for me is rest, right. That yes, mm-hmm. I want to be doing this big and important work in the world and I'm hoping I'm having an impact. And also I need to be taking time away to rest, to take care of myself. Um, and to also recognize that I don't want my my personal life to be a life of just surviving. I want to be thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'm always putting that at the forefront of my own liberation so that yes, I can continue doing this work, but also because I think that is my gift to myself is my own personal liberation and to live and to thrive and, and to enjoy this time that I have here. Um, and so for me, that's looking like taking more time off, taking more vacation, you know, doing things to honor myself that feel well, and also not being ashamed or embarrassed about doing those things, because I think for a while I started to feel like, oh, I don't want people to think I'm like doing too much or enjoying myself too much or taking too many trips or being concerned about what other people think. And I had to also reframe that narrative that like as a black woman in America or in this world, I want to be a source of inspiration for people in such that other black women or other black little girls recognize that we all deserve a life of luxury, right? Mm-hmm. And that's going to look different for all of us, but that's nothing to be ashamed of and that we are deserving of all the best things in this life, just like anybody else is. Mm-hmm. Hey friend, we are coming straight back to the book stoop after a quick break. Chrissy, I love this. And I also love that that was such a beautiful segue into one of the things that I wrote down. One of my favorite quotes now is stop shrinking and start taking up space and use your energy to create your specific magic in the world. (gasps) (sighs) Oh, yes. I love that quote so much because I I love the And I love not just that quote. I love the idea of talking Mm -hmm. about taking up space because, again, regardless of whatever our identities are, I think that I will say particularly I think for women, but I think regardless of your identity, 
you know, in so many ways we've been asked to shrink and to take up less space and to make ourselves more palatable for people. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just done with that. And I want us all to be done with that, right? If we are, you know, I saw this quote somewhere on Instagram the other day, I won't take credit for this, but it was like, if I'm too much, go find someone less. And that's how I feel about the way that I show up in the world. I I can't be too much for someone. I'm going to be 100% myself. I'm going to show up to every space fully myself. And if that is too much for someone, then I'm just not for them. And I'm totally okay with that. Um, and I just, I so wholeheartedly believe that we all have a very specific magic that we bring to this world. And that's going to be different for each and every one of us. But I think for far too long, we've been dimming our lights, trying to make other people feel comfortable. And I'm like, no, we are meant to shine. And the people that, who, who appreciate and embrace that are the people that are supposed to be in, the li- in our lives. And the people who don't resonate with it, they were never meant to be with us. And I don't want those people in my life anyways, right? I want to live a life of relationships with people who we encourage and embrace and and nourish each other in ways that are so compassionate and loving and healing. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of energy that I want in my life. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I have a question about what black joy means for you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that question so much. So when I think about black joy, again, I think about the thing that I've been focusing on the most or thinking the most about this lately is that, again, this idea of thriving and not Mm -hmm. just survival. You know, I think about I'm a descendant of chattel slave, enslaved people. And I think about the fact all the time that my ancestors didn't go through all this so that I can sit here and feel bad about what I have or burn myself out for the consumption of other people. And so that's why I go back to this idea of rest, right? And, and having the ability, and I, and I can recognize the privilege in my life. And I always talk about privilege, the privileges that I have. I can recognize those things. And also at the same time, recognize that like I truly believe at my core that I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about black joy, I think about what are the things that make me feel energized, that make me feel nourished, that make me feel whole. And again, this this idea, especially as a black woman, that like I am deserving of luxury. I'm deserving of nice things. I'm observe I'm a I'm deserving of like love. I'm deserving of care. I'm deserving of softness, right? And this idea of this like strong black woman, like I don't want anybody to ever call me a strong black woman again, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is not what I aspire to be. I know I'm resilient and I know I have strength, but I want softness and care and ease in my life. And when I think about black joy for myself, those are the things I think of. Mm. So what is a message that you would offer to young black creatives, regardless of gender Mm -hmm. identity? Yes. I think the thing that I would offer, and this is the same thing I offer to myself, I'm reminding myself of this all the time, that in an age where we're, you know, creatives and social media and we're, we're constantly putting out content for this consumption of others, I remind myself and I would remind others that our culture, our Blackness, our joy is not for sale, and I say that to mean that like, I'm never going to, again, burn myself out for other people, for, for the consumption of other people. And so I think when I think of other Black creatives and I think of myself, I think of how are we doing this work in a way that we actually feel joy when we're doing it? Not that it's a source of like angst or, you know, we are burning ourselves out or we're feeling overwhelmed or we're no longer feeling joy because we're so worried about the metrics and so worried about like, what the people want to see from us. I always want to create from the space of like, this is what feels good for me. And I truly wholeheartedly believe that when I work from that place, it's going to resonate with the right people. And, you know, in a world where we can get so caught up on numbers and so caught up in all this stuff, I keep reminding myself, I'm not here for the numbers. I'm not here for the likes, shares, or retweets. I'm here 
Because again, I believe that I have very specific magic to put in the world. I'm going to put that out in ways that feel good to me. And I 100% believe that it's going to land with people that it's supposed to land with. Mm -hmm. What's a specific life experience that you've had that has really boosted you into this place of confidence and self-worth where you feel fully equipped to just keep smashing these goals and just like bringing that presence to the world? Yes, I think what, you know, it's always, I think when I think about how people ask me this question, like, you feel, you seem so confident. And like, I always remind people that I, first off, I do a lot of things scared all the time, right? Like that's the idea that we will ever get to a place where nothing feels uncertain or nothing feels scary is just to me, not realistic. But when I think about my trajectory with my work, it was always the next small thing, right? So it was like that first article that I was really scared to publish, right? Mm -hmm. And I did it afraid. And I was like, oh, it was okay. That was fine. And then I, you know, that gave me confidence to do the next little thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I just feel like little by little, the confidence builds in each other. And more confidence we have, the more confident we feel. And so I think those are just the things that have really helped me along the way. And also going back to this idea of always staying true to myself. You know, I've seen over the last few years, like all you think all these things that happen, social media trends and everybody's like shifting gears to do what they think the algorithm wants them to do. And I think the thing that I've always done is just stay true to what I do, which is like I write words and I hope that they resonate with people. And so I'm always like, I'm going to stay true to myself. And then history has shown me in my own life that when I stay true to myself, then the next thing that's supposed to happen happens the way it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that time and time again. And so I just been like, I trust that whatever is supposed to happen is going to happen in the way it's supposed to happen as long as I'm listening to my own intuition. And again, staying true to myself and and doing work that I feel good about. Mm -hmm. Anytime I've noticed myself trying to work from a place of what do I think other people want to hear, other people want to see, it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And so again, when it's going back to this idea of like being a creative and putting work out into the world, if it doesn't feel good to me, then I don't have joy in it, then I don't want to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I do this work for myself and I hope that it resonates with other people. I'm excited about your book, The Body Liberation Project, now in just even knowing what kind of personal practices or what opinions and beliefs and perspectives you have going into that space because writing can be super exhausting. It can be an emotional roller coaster, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, big time. So I love that you have this chunk of time spread out to take that time to write and to sink into that. And what a beautiful opportunity to put all of this into one love heart forward project. Yeah. And that's what excites me too. And to your point about writing a book, I think one of the things that has been an eye opener for me is that I definitely romanticize the idea of writing a book in mm -hmm. my head. You know, I'd probably watch too many movies <laughs> and see <laughs> too many TV shows. And like, I thought I was just going to be sitting by the beach writing all these words mm -hmm. and it was just going to be like a beautiful thing every day. It's hard work <laughs> it's and hard. it is an emotional roller coaster. And some days you're like, oh my God, this is the best. And next day you're like, I can't write a book. What was mm -hmm. I thinking? You know, and so there's all these emotions um, and it's a labor of love, no doubt. But again, now that I've come to reality and recognize that it's not going to be as like, you know, romantic as I thought it was going to be, the thing I am so grateful for is that I do have the time and the space, right, to do this and really make it a labor of love. And I just really feel, I feel really grateful for that. And having not known, knowing much about the publishing process going into it, mm -hmm. 
I do also just feel really grateful and really fortunate that, you know, I have the ability to really take the time because I can see for a lot of people that wouldn't be a possibility for a whole lot of reasons we don't have to get into here. So again, I recognize the privilege in that. And I'm just really, really grateful that I get to have this time to do it in this way. Mm -hmm. As a creative, when do you feel most inspired? Um, you know what I, again, I feel, and I know this about myself and then I still fall into this, this little like uh, cycle, but I feel the most creative, honestly, when I am giving myself the most space and taking the most downtime, I the, like when I'm rushing and I'm just doing a thousand things, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I have the mental space to really be as creative as I like. And, and I think back of like, a lot of the work I've done, I have always had the best ideas or the best writing sessions or the best whatever when I'm really just like taking it slow and taking it easy, which is like counterintuitive to the world we live in sometime, right? Because li- I live in Brooklyn. It's like rush, 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 go, go, go. And so I have to like intentionally be like, no, I'm not rushing, 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 going, going, going. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to take my time. And even though when you're in that time sometimes where you're like intentionally being slow and taking things slow, it feels counterproductive because you're like, I'm not doing enough. But I really find that the less I do, the more creative I am and the easier my work flows. Yeah. Oh, I feel that too. Yeah. Chrissy, this is amazing. I have a question about an account or people, an organization, a disruptor, an activist, or a change agent that you would love to give a shout out to. Oh my gosh, this is such a hard question. Oh my goodness, there's so many people when I think about people that I'm inspired by. Um, oh gosh, okay, so I think when I think of the fitness space, um, there's a wonderful account, Decolonizing Fitness, that is doing such amazing work around making the the industry more inclusive. Um, we've done work together and also I learned so much from them. So I love Decolonizing Fitness for so many reasons. And then when I think about body liberation work and body stuff. I think of Sonia Renee Taylor, The Body's Not an Apology. Mm. She's one of the first books I read several years ago about body stuff that was like mind blowing for me. And also because I was like, at that point in my life, I was working through so many things. I felt like she was putting into words things I was thinking. And I was like, oh, wow, someone else gets it. Um, So I would say Sonia's work as well. I probably could go on, but I I think I'll go with those two right now. But there's honestly so many accounts that I learned from and that um, I have been really influential and I just are doing such great work, important work. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. And where can people find you online? Yeah, so my website is chrissyking.com and social media wise, I'm most active on Instagram. And that is I am Chrissy King. Mm hmm. I could talk to you all day about this stuff. (laughs) Thank you so much. That was incredible. I really appreciate you and your time. Oh my God. Thank you for having me on again. Wonderful conversation. And I can't believe I feel like we just started talking. So Mm -hmm. I agree. I could talk to you all day about this, but thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being with us. We hope you loved the conversation and we'll be back again soon. Please be sure to follow us on your podcast app, and leave a rating where you're able to do so. Writing a written review helps reach more listeners too. Check out all of the show notes for the links and share the book stoop with your friends. Talk soon.